0: Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Welcome again to our study of the timeless truths of Revelation. Tonight our study finds us over in chapter 4 of Revelation. We started last week as we looked at the throne room of the universe and we saw our God. We saw the majesty and the mystery of God on his throne. And we tonight are going to look at worship. This chapter is, uh, to me, a premier chapter on the meaning of true worship. Now, someone came up to you at work or maybe at the supermarket and said, hey, uh, are you a Christian? And you'd say, yeah, I am. Well, I got a question. What is true worship? How would you answer them? Would you say something like, well, uh, we have worship at our church every Sunday and uh going to church and, uh, uh, you know, it's praying, uh, it's listening to preaching, uh, it's singing uh, praises to God, uh, uh, it's singing songs. Uh, I mean, how would you describe true worship? Well, if you said those things, I would have to say you're absolutely wrong. Because you can do all of those things and not worship. You can come to church and not worship. You can hear preaching and not worship. You can see people praying. You can even pray and not worship. You can sing praises to God and not really worship. Uh, The scribes and Pharisees did all these things. They gave. They prayed but they did not enter into true worship. Uh, You know, our modern view of worship is far different from God's view. As we see in Revelation chapter 4, we will begin in verse 5 and we will read through verse 11. Out of the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf, the third creature had the face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes around and within, day and night, they did not cease to say, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever, and will cast their crowns before the throne. Saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Now there are five ingredients to true worship, and I believe that uh, we see these in this passage. Now, first, let me just take a moment to talk about the various biblical words that are translated worship. Now, in the Old Testament, the primary Hebrew word that's translated worship means to bow down or to bow low. Now, the first time that this word appears in the Old Testament is in Genesis chapter 18. And it has to do with Abraham. And it has to do with God and two angels visiting Abraham. And what we read is, And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And later in the story, we discover that one was God and the other two were angels. And he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself, that's the word, bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. And then again, it's used over in Genesis chapter 22. And this is a passage of Scripture, you remember, where God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, whom he loved dearly. And much could be said about that passage and what it has to do with true worship. But what we see in verse 5, as Abraham sees the place that God said that he was to go and offer his son as a burnt offering, he says to the men who are with him, and Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad, speaking of Isaac, will go over there, that is where he was to be sacrificed. And we will worship and return to you. And so the word carries the idea of humility, of bowing in reverence, in respect, in adoration, in awe, or to give homage. Now, the second Dairy word in the Hebrew that's translated worship literally means to serve or to obey. And we see this in Psalm 211, which says, Worship the Lord with reverence. Now, when you come to the New Testament, the primary Greek word is made up of the prefix toward, pro, and the Greek word, kanuo, which means to kiss. And so, literally, it meant to throw a kiss toward a deity, an idol, in the ancient Greek. But as the New Testament times developed, the word changed in its basic meaning and meant to make obeisance or to do reverence or an act of homage or awe. Now this is a word that's used in our passage in Revelation. This idea of throwing a kiss toward, of doing reverence as an act of homage and awe. And there's a second word in the New Testament that stresses the idea of reverence, all or devotion. And that word is used over in Acts 16, and it's used of Lydia. You remember when Paul uh, went to Europe, and the first convert in Europe, and in Acts 16, verse 14, it says, A woman named Lydia was from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper, that's the word, of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, the third Greek word uh, means to serve, and it picks up on that Old Testament idea of serving, of service. And so when we take the Old Testament and New Testament words that are translated worship, we get the idea of humility, of reverence, of awe, of obedience, of devotion. And so what we are seeing is that worship is an inward disposition more than simply outward acts you can do all the religious activity and if your inward attitude is not one commensurate with true worship you have not worshiped you have simply gone through the motions you can come to church and you can still not enter into true worship because your attitude your heart was not one of true worship God spoke some very harsh words to the nation of Israel on this very fact. They were going through the motions. They were offering the sacrifices. They were following the assemblies that God had ordered for them to follow, but their hearts were not committed to God. And he said their actions were nauseating to him. In Isaiah 1, listen to these words beginning in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feast. They have become a burden to me. I am weary... "...of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you multiply multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood." Those are very harsh words that God is saying. He's saying to you and to me, "...when you come and you lift up your songs on Sunday morning..." and you lift up your prayers, if you do not have the inward heart of true worship, it is repulsive to me. It is nauseating. It is an abomination. And so true worship is an inward disposition, an inward attitude of our heart that's taken up with God. We are absorbed in God. We are caught up with Him. It be called a love affair with God. Worship is the honor, the praise, and the exaltation of the creator, the sustainer, the Savior, and the paraclete. Now there are five characteristics of true worship that come out in our passage in Revelation. The first one is awe, an attitude of all. Verse eight Holy, holy, holy. We are taken up with the greatness of God. We stand amazed. We are taken back at His majesty. The four cherubim express this all in their praises. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy they call God, thrice holy. As you know in the Hebrew, to give the greatest emphasis, you would repeat something three times. And here they're repeating three times. Holy, holy, holy. I've told you the root meaning of holy is the meaning of otherness. To be separate from all. God is totally other. He is separate from all other. There is none like Him. He is the Creator. We are mere creatures. God alone is eternal, absolute perfection. And this realization should bring in us an attitude of awe and reverence when we realize the greatness, the majesty of our God. That means we need to take time to reflect on God's Holiness. Our tendency is to simply make him a superhuman. And that's what the Greeks did with all their gods. They were just superhumans, that's all. They had the same flaws and fallacies as humans, they just had supernatural strength or some other things. Our God is not human, He is much greater. He is totally otherness. Now I've given you a picture of his greatness before, but it just I like to repeat it because it's just it's just amazing. You know, when you take just our Milky Way galaxy, which is only one of billions of galaxies in this universe that our God created. Just our Milky Way galaxy is a hundred thousand light years in diameter. And 10,000 light years thick. So it's kind of the shape of a a lens like in your glasses, a thick lens in your glasses. 100,000 light years in diameter, 10,000 light years thick. Now, a light year is how far light can travel in one year. Now, light can travel 186,000 miles a second. That's seven times around the earth. Before I can say the word earth, it's traveled around the earth seven times. One second. You talk about going at that speed for not a minute, not an hour, not a week, not a month, not a year, not a hundred years, not a thousand years, but a hundred thousand years. You know, you can get to our moon in one and 1.2 seconds at that speed. You can get to our sun in 8.3 minutes at that speed. Now, we're talking about traveling at that speed for a hundred thousand years before you could get across our Milky Way galaxy, and that's only one of a billion galaxies, and God says He's measured it by the span of His hand. (laughs) Our God's a great God. Second attitude, adoration. Great love and appreciation. Verse 9, And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever. You see, the attitude of all leads us to great love, appreciation, and adoration for God. There is a sequence to this. It is usually at this point of adoration that we break forth in spontaneous praise, as the four living creatures do, as they give glory and honor and thanks to God. They give glory to God. Glory means to speak well of someone. You remember the root word means to spin a yarn, to have a high opinion of someone. And to give glory to God is to speak well of God. Honor is the word to ascribe great value. The term carries idea of heavy, something that's weighty, something that is of tremendous value. And you ascribe great value to God. You give thanks to God. He is adored for who he is. He is called the Lord God. Adonai God. Lord. Master. Sovereign God. His sovereignty is adored, is proclaimed. He's called the Almighty God. His power is adored and proclaimed. He is all powerful. There is nothing difficult for God to do. The most difficult thing we can imagine to God is effortless. The creation of His entire universe was effortless to Him. All He had to do was speak the Word. Now, you know how easy it is to speak? Create, that's all. With that little effort, He created this entire universe. He is the eternal one who was, who is, and who is to come. That's the way of speaking of God's eternality. He always has been. There never was a time when God was not. There never has been a time when God is not. And there never will be a time when God is not. Now you and I, in our human finiteness, must think of things in terms of having a beginning and an end. Because everything else that we know in our realm of experience has a beginning somewhere and has an end somewhere. And so we just cannot conceive of something that has no beginning, that there never has been a time when God has not been, nor will there ever be a time when He will not be. But that is... The truth. And so as the Catechism says, the answer to the child's question, who created God, is, God was not created. He has always been. And then He is extolled and adored as the Creator. In verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. They adore God as a creator, because again, as the creator, that sets Him apart from the creature. That is where it all begins, in our realm of human experience, in our realm of understanding. It begins with creation, and He is the one who was there before creation, and He created. Therefore, when you adore Him as the creator... You are adoring Him as the one who is above all, who is separate from all, who is sovereign over all. As a creator, He has the right to demand our allegiance and obedience. Because He created us, that is His privilege. That is His right. And it is all all according to His will, as it says. So the first attitude is one of awe. Second, one of adoration. That leads to the third attitude of true worship, and that is humility. Verse 10. The 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne. The elders fall down in humility before God. Adoration, excuse me, all adoration, humility. When you see the greatness of God, then you see your weakness. When you see how great He is, you see how small you are. All pride leaves us when we see God's majesty. And when we worship God, we are emptied Of self. We are emptied of pride. A proud spirit cannot worship God. God Himself says, I am opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. God Himself said that what He will not despise is a broken and contrite heart. That's what he will welcome. As David said, Thou does not delight in sacrifices, otherwise I would give it. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. If we do not come before God in humility, we cannot enter into true worship. If we come to God thinking that we deserve to be there, thinking that, you know, I've been good enough this week, I can now go into God's presence, we will not enter into the presence of God, because that is an attitude of pride. We must realize that in our flesh dwells no good thing. That our natural inclinations are not good in God's sight. That in ourselves, we are absolutely nothing. But in Christ, we are everything. When you come before God in worship, you must come clothed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Clothed in what Christ has done and who He is. That's our only ground to stand before a holy God. And the great thing about it is we can all stand before Him in the Lord Jesus. As imperfect as we are, as frail as we are in our humanity, when we realize our total dependence on Him, then we have the humility needed to enter into true worship. All adoration leads to humility. Humility leads to surrender. Notice what these 24 elders do when they fall down in humility before God, realizing their total dependence on Him. They throw their crowns before Him. Now crowns in Scripture are spoken of many times as rewards. These elders cast... They are crowns before God. They are surrendering all to Him. Lord, all that I am and all that I have is Yours. True worship always involves surrender to God. When we see Him as the great God He is, anything else than total surrender is ridiculous. How can I hold anything back? when I realize how great He is. When I have stood in awe before Him and and fallen down in awe and adoration and humility before Him, how can I not surrender to Him? And you can gauge your level of true worship by your level of surrender. If we are not willing to surrender absolutely to Him, then you can be certain we have not worshipped. I believe there must be that conscious surrender of our total being to God. The surrender of our will, of our mind, of our emotions, of our body, of our possessions. And if you're not willing to surrender everything, then He's not Lord, is He? Worship, listen now, worship is giving, not Receiving. How many people think worship is receiving? Man, I'm going to go and I'm going to get today. I'm going to get a blessing. I'm going to get a sense, a feeling that God's here. I'm going to get some good music that I can enjoy singing. I'm going to get some good Bible teaching. I'm going to get. And when you come with the attitude of getting... You're setting yourself up to leave disappointed because it didn't measure up to everything. You know the music just wasn't what I wanted today. The preaching the sermon just wasn't what I wanted today. I didn't get the feeling today that I wanted. Notice in this chapter the worship is not receiving but giving. They're giving all and they're giving adoration and they're giving their humility and they're giving their praise to God. They're surrendering all to him. We need to come to God to give, not to receive. The angels give. The elders give. We need to come saying, God, how can I give to you today in worship? I'm going to give my my heart to you. I'm going to give my attention to you. I'm going to give my concentration to you. I'm going to give this hour... An hour and a half of my life to you. I'm not going to think about other things. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to come and give. I'm going to give some of my material possessions to you. And that brings us to the fifth attitude. I'm going to give obedience. Obedience. Paul over in Romans 12. Gives us some rather interesting turn on this idea of worship. When he says... Therefore I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. Totally committed. Totally dedicated. Living sacrifice. The sacrifice was given all but it was burned at the altar. It was burned to a crisp. He says I'm not telling you to kill yourself but I want you to live for God. I'm not saying die for him but live for him give your all to him that is your spiritual service of worship when we surrender our will to god then the result is obedience to him and perhaps obedience is the acid test of worship if you do not obey god you have not worshiped if the experience that you think of as worship does not lead you to obedience to His Word, you have not worshipped. I don't care what else might have happened. You might have had some good feelings. You might have had a good time. You might have enjoyed yourself. But if it doesn't result in you obeying the Word of God, you haven't worshipped. True worship in its deepest sense is life-changing life transforming. Now, I think there are levels of worship, even levels of true worship. Worship at its deepest level. I think most Christians only experience three or four times in their entire life. Those are those times when God so comes on you. You lose track of time. You lose track of, of your problems, what's going on. You see and meet God in a way that you have never seen or met Him before in your entire life, and you come away from that worship time changed forever because you've seen a part of God you've never ever seen before. I've had that privilege a few times, but that's not something that happens every Sunday. Now, I think we can enter into true worship, and I hope we do, and we should enter it in on a regular basis, but I'm talking about that deepest level that we ought to all long for and we should desire for and ask God for. But when that happens, you are never the same. You think Abraham was ever the same after that experience at Mount Moriah when God provided? I don't think he ever was the same after that. Any more than those disciples, Peter, James, and John, were ever the same after the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey me. Israel forgot this truth And God said your worship, what you're going through is not true worship and it is repulsive. But when we come before God with these five characteristic attitudes of true worship, the awe, the adoration, the humility, the surrender, and the obedience, this pleases God. True worship is meeting God in this attitude through the Holy Spirit. Now look in Philippians 3, 3 and I want to end with this verse. Because you cannot worship even in your own strength or your own power. You must have God's power, and grace. Philippians 3.3, Paul says, For we are the true circumcision. He's talking about true believers who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh who worship in the Spirit of God. You and I must, our humility is part of that humility is saying, God, Jesus, I can't worship like I need to apart from you. I acknowledge that. But I desire to worship you. I want to worship you. I want to worship you in a way that brings glory to you. And I'm going to just trust you. I'm going to trust your Spirit who is in me to enable me to worship you in true worship. And you look to Him, you depend on Him. By His grace, you will enter into true worship. That concludes our study tonight.